Thank you for joining the Beyond Billable Hours podcast series. And a special thank you to you, Jeremy, who is my guest in this episode. It's really wonderful having you on the show, Jeremy, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Barbara. I really appreciate you inviting me here today. Well, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. Um, so I'm speaking with Jeremy today as he is the CEO and founder of Jameson Legal, which is an award-winning legal recruitment company and legal tech consultancy. And he will share some interesting insights from a recruitment point of view, recruiting for roles in the legal sector from junior to more senior lawyers and partners, and the expectations that firms have whilst looking for suitable candidates. So I believe that's really um, sort of like in a nutshell, obviously, um, your expertise, if I may say so, Jeremy. Yes, absolutely. So um, I was previously a lawyer many years ago, but I've been in legal recruitment now for, I think, 17 years. Um, so I'm long in the tooth. And uh, yeah, my experience has been uh, placing lawyers uh, from very junior positions into very senior positions. Uh, and also now, obviously, we have a very large team uh, working across different sectors of the legal market. So, um, yeah, uh, I've seen quite a few placements in my time and and, and met with a lot of candidates and, and clients in my time. So hopefully I can be of some help. I'm very sure that you will be. Um, <laughs> so, right, I'm just going to fire some questions at you, if that's okay. Um, the first one would be um, sort of like next to technical legal skills. What would you say are skills that law firms look at when they recruit junior lawyers? Okay, I mean, I think that the number of skills uh, required of lawyers these days uh, is ever increasing. Um, in addition to strong technical capabilities, which are in some ways taken as read uh, for, for candidates that have some experience in the profession, um, there are some key uh, qualities and skills which uh, law firms, but also in-house teams, uh, want their, their their lawyers to to, to build upon. Uh, so I would say uh, some of those skills would include um, technical capabilities um, uh, for legal technology. So this is a growing area uh, of, of necessity for lawyers to get to grips, at least with the basics of the legal technology solutions that are available. Um, and it's quite a difficult proposition um, both from the perspective of the employer and, and the, uh, the junior lawyers coming into the, into the profession because there's no real standardization of technology. Uh, so um, there's an expectation that I think lawyers will have an understanding broadly of the types of tech they will be using and, and then uh, do end up using in the law firm or the environment they move into. And, 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 and have a sort of an understanding of the reasons behind the technology and to become, um, I think, um, as, as efficient and capable with it as they can. Um, one of those skills as well definitely would be efficiency. So um, making the most of, of, of your time as a lawyer, um, whether that is um, on legal work itself or on business development um, or um, additional uh, skills training. Uh, law firms want their lawyers to be very efficient um, and capable so that they make the best use of their time um, both at work and, uh, and when they're working sort of from home. Um, I would say that 
that leads on to sort of your business development skills are another key factor that are required uh, by lawyers uh, these days. So previously, you know, I'm of the generation when lawyers were described in one of three ways, finders, minders, or grinders, they used to be called. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those that were the, uh, the finders were the uh, rainmakers, and you know, their job essentially was bringing the work in. Uh, there were uh, minders who would manage uh, the, the matters and the teams, and then there were the grinders doing the work. So lawyers could generally find their spot within the legal profession, and there wasn't an expectation that um, you had to be multifaceted. Um, but now I think that has changed dramatically. And um, previously there was a situation where lawyers were expected to be working incredibly hard, not ask questions, not have too much involvement with clients, and then suddenly become capable of bringing clients in. So I think firms recognize now that, that you're not going to uh, change into a butterfly overnight. And, and therefore they want to help their lawyers to become natural or as natural as possible business developers. Um, and in that regard, um, there's, a, there's a feeling certainly when when we're, we're, we're helping lawyers to find roles and, and for those firms to recruit that um, an interest in and a capability in business development is a highly valued skill. Um, yeah. And I think um, lawyers do need to work on it, particularly if they're not naturals at it. Um, yeah. You know, some lawyers are extremely technically capable, um, but are not keen or do not feel comfortable um, bringing in work or, or, or business developing with clients or feeling natural getting involved in that aspect but um, I think to get to the top of the profession that's a real skill that is invaluable and most of the senior lawyers that you meet whether they're general counsels or partners uh, or other uh, senior lawyers in the profession um, they tend to be good with clients and good at managing uh, various different stakeholders. So I think that that is a, is a sort of key skill as well. Yeah, so the expectations from these law firms would naturally be there, I, I suppose, for the more senior roles. But then you say actually um, that also for junior lawyers, you see these requirements are coming up more and more and more frequently. Um, also, even at that stage on the business development side, yeah, definitely, because I think that there's a feeling that the way the economic markets have changed, um, that uh, more junior lawyers can interact with clients at a much more junior level. So yeah. you know, historically with big law firms, they might be dealing with giant corporations. And so it's the partners dealing with the, the uh, C-level executives or what have you to get the instructions. But now with the rise particularly of technology clients, you could be in a you know in a pub or going to watch an event and you'll be interacting with uh, a much younger uh, executive base who might have legal yeah. work have very fast growing companies um, and so law firms want to ensure that their lawyers have their ear to the ground have uh, are circulating in those areas where they might win business that could end up being big uh, for them and I think law firms are have become a lot more sophisticated and savvy in terms of uh, reaching out to clients at an earlier stage or trying to foster clients at an earlier stage by offering their services perhaps to startups or or getting involved in uh, 
in groups that will allow them access to clients, um, you know, uh, at, a, at a more junior sort of level, but which might grow very quick, quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So do you feel that the more senior roles are the more likely it is that law firms require lawyers to bring in a client base uh, or a book of work, if you, if you call it that? Um, I appreciate that BD skill, skills need to be there, but it doesn't mean that people already have that sort of like client base, right? Um, but do you feel that's more and more of a requirement from law firms for the senior lawyer? I would, and um, th there's been a, a massive change, I'd say, since the global financial crisis um, around about 2008, 2009. Um, prior to that, there was a lot less due diligence done on partners coming in laterally to a firm. And uh, that uh, obviously led to situations where a lot of people were hired, didn't really work, and law firms faced losses. And yeah. um, because firms needed to um, be very cautious with their finances during and after the financial crisis, they brought in a lot more um, uh, well requirements for detail from lawyers coming laterally. So the lateral partner questionnaires become became common to every firm, and they got bigger and bigger. Uh, there were more um, uh, processes, more interviews taking place and more of an expectation that lawyers coming in would be very open with their billings, with their, you know, their client um, bases, and uh, firms would take references from clients, etc. So that being said, um, it, it would be very hard now for somebody to move firms um, at a partner level, unless there was a specific role where perhaps somebody left, they needed somebody to come into a warm desk, which is very rare. Um, but in most cases, lawyers moving lat laterally would be expected to have a solid book of business, a track record, uh, be open about their their billings, uh, be open about the contact, uh, contacts at the firms who might be moving with them. And with yeah. all that due diligence being done uh, and, and reference taking being done, it, you know, it's, it's a lot uh, harder uh, for, I guess, someone without those capabilities to, to get, get into a firm. Um, you know, there's no guarantees, but it, it makes it a lot more likely that someone is credible, has has those skills, has that book of business, and you know will bring it with them. Um, yeah, so of course. It can actually be quite hard for lawyers, particularly coming from magic circle firms or the larger firms, which are very institutionalised, because they don't get the the same level of client interaction, or it's very unlikely that they are able to move clients with them to other firms. So. Um, you know that that in in a way can can make it difficult for lawyers from those firms to move as much as as lawyers that uh, work with clients that are more portable. So this is a very good sort of like leeway into my next question, which would be obviously I mean the requirements are are clear and that there is a certain value I suppose they need to bring when it comes to their client base and the matters they could potentially bring along. Um, and looking at the types of clients, etc. Um, so there, there is a clear sort of like, and you, you've mentioned the questionnaire. Um, but then again, as you just said, you know, there might be lawyers who reach that level, right? They want to grow into a more senior role or they want to go for partnership, maybe elsewhere, like with a different firm. But then what, what do they need to do if they don't have that client base? Like what would your advice be? Can they still, you know, can they still move or should they wait and try to build that in a couple of years? Because we all know it's not going to happen overnight. It takes a long time. Um, so can they catch up in time, you think? 
Um, it's, it, it puts them at a bit of a disadvantage if they feel that they don't have clients that are likely to instruct them if they move to another firm. Um, there are certain things you can definitely do. For example, if you're working with um, a particular client and that is a very large client and they have a panel, then obviously you can look at the other panel members and firms might be interested to hire you because you can bolster the, um, you know, the panel situation uh, that they already have. Um, it's never too late, I think, to business develop um, and to, um, you know, uh, train train yourself or, or get training in the skills of business development and really throw yourself into it. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a lot of clients. You can have a relatively small number of good quality clients, which would be enough yeah. for you to be able to move laterally. Um, you could also as well um, seek out opportunities where a, a client book of business is not required. There will be some opportunities in that regard, particularly where a partner retires or a team moves and a firm wants to act swiftly to have somebody to cover that book of business and might be willing to offer partnership or a lateral move where in, in normal times they wouldn't. And particularly at the moment, the market itself is extremely busy. So timing is also everything. In, in you know, last year might have been a lot more difficult, although weirdly yeah. there was a fair amount of partnership uh, movement. But in certain times, uh, partnership moves become easier, uh, particularly where there's, um, you know, um, a a, a strong demand in a practice area or if uh, the market itself is so busy that everyone is crying out for um, extra help to extra yeah. help or, or they might want to yeah. grow a new practice in which case because they haven't got one they might be willing to bring somebody across and back them to build one um, as well so particularly at the moment you know we're seeing practice areas like corporate private equity real estate um, and, and one or two other areas which are in, incredibly busy and okay. it's a great opportunity for lawyers to step up from counsel to partner or you know move into a better a better firm uh, because uh, you know there's there's a kind of domino effect at the moment so uh, you can see people leaping from one position to a much better position and they just need to make the most of that um, and throw themselves in yeah, I see. So timing is obviously also of the essence, right? When you plan your move, it's not only the business development, but I think it's also doing it at the right time if, if the book of work is, is not there. Um, that makes yeah. sense, yeah. And it's also about the expectations, I think, as well. So yeah. you could be a, a counsel at a US firm and have a book of business of half a million, a million US, but that won't make you a partner. But if you took that book of business to a mid-sized firm, you can get partnerships. So it's also about horses for courses in terms of, you know, your own practice and being realistic as to where you can um, can make partner. And, and also it's worthwhile considering um, your career, you know, as a, as a marathon and not a sprint. So it can be worthwhile you taking a step down to a smaller firm or a mid-sized firm to get partnership. And then once you're a partner, you're circling within um, you know uh, that 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 pool, and you can then step back up again into a larger firm later. And in many instances as well, um, because of the way firms have changed in in particular in the UK market, away away from lockstep and much more towards uh, sort of uh, eat what you kill type mm -hmm. situation, mirroring what the US firms do. Um, 
if you're confident in your own practice, it doesn't always necessarily matter what the, what the platform is. You know, the general metric is you're probably going to get about a third of what you bill, and that could be in, in, in different types of firm. And so some people might prefer to be in a firm where they have less expectation, but they're still going to get a third of what they bill, rather than being in a very big firm where your expectations are very high and you've got a lot of pressure um, every year. Um, and in addition to that, you know, we have seen the likes of uh, Keystone and other platforms which are willing to offer partners a much greater percentage of what they bill. So in those instances, um, you can have a quite a small book, but still take home a really good salary of about 70% of what you of what you bill. So um, it's about finding a platform, I think, that you're comfortable with, um, but recognizing that different platforms have different uh, positives for your practice. So some will have, uh, some will feed you work, others you'll have to do a lot more uh, work yourself to bring the work in. Um, and um, sort of recognizing what, what the metrics are of the platform can really help or hinder you as a, as a partner. Lots of different options. I didn't even think about that myself, but this is uh, this is really insightful. Um, you know, I, I mean, th this is really good because I'm sure that, um, you know, lo lots of uh, sort of like mid, mid senior level, I would say, would be wondering like the next step, but, you know, oh dear, I didn't do my business development properly, or maybe, you know, for, for some, it isn't really, um, you know, something they, they're, they're very good at, um, they're very comfortable with, as you said, but they're still, lots of uh, lots of options it's really good to hear so your can i ask you if you have any specific tips um for any lawyer with the ambition for partnership what would you tell them uh i would i was never a partner myself so you'll have to take this with a pinch of salt um <laughs> from what i've seen um firstly if you really want to decide if you want to be a partner uh, so it's not, I wouldn't say it's taken as a given now that all lawyers want to be partners. Mm -hmm. um, there are, the good thing is that nowadays there are opportunities for people that, that don't want to be partners. It's not an up, up and out type system. Um, and lawyers have a lot more opportunities of, as we've talked about, um, whether that's being you know, on a flexible platform or whether that's going in house or whether that's uh, working in a council position uh, within a firm. You know, there are lots of ways to be comfortable uh, in the type of role that you want to be in. But if you if you really do want to be a partner, you really have to sort of plan early, I think, and really work on your skill set um, from day one. And because, it, you know, it is a very competitive marketplace uh, for partners. First of all, you're competing with your peers. You've also got to look at whether the firm itself wants to grow, or whether there are opportunities above you, and you've got to plan and be quite strategic about getting to partner. So you've got to differentiate yourself from, from others in your firm at the same level. Uh, so that means in terms of uh, you know, the work you do, in terms of the commitment to the firm, in terms of uh, what added value you can bring, and you can bring added value in a number of different ways. You could bring it in terms of uh, being a good business developer, you could you could bring it in terms of being someone that uh, is, is very good at, at training junior lawyers, for example, another skill set that partners need. Um, and you can do it in, in, in terms of acting as a partner, you know, in the way you present yourself, in the way you, uh, uh, you carry yourself, 
you know, uh, aiming for the job you, you want rather than the job you're in. So I think that lawyers nowadays, they need to work on their own skills. They can't necessarily always rely on the firm to, to give them the skills that they need. So pushing the boundaries in terms of um, uh, looking at the areas of, of, of skill that you, you will need as a partner, but also looking at areas where you're not so strong and working on them. And that may need, mean you have to do that outside of the work environment. Um, and, um, and again, sort of just being strategic about where you can make partner. So you, you can find lawyers that um, get lulled into a sense of uh, financial security, let's say. So if you're in a US firm, you're a counsel, you're earning a lot of money and you're feeling there are partner opportunities out there, but I, I won't take one because I'm going to take a hit on my salary. So you have to sometimes take a sacrifice to get to partnership. Um, otherwise, you know, you're going to really have to, to push on and, and hit the metrics required of the firm that you're in. So uh, again, I would say that, you know, look around at the opportunities, reach out to different recruiters, be, be, be made aware of the roles um, when you when we want to know about them, be aware of the market um, and don't be afraid, I think, to leap to the right opportunity in another firm, um, even if it's a partner track position, because again, I've seen candidates who are fearful of moving to a partner track position because they fear that they won't be able to um, meet the requirements of that role to step up to partner, or they feel that the firm is not being honest, that, that there isn't a partnership available to them after a couple of years. Uh, but generally my experience has been that um, with firms that promise a track to partnership and they give you uh, metrics that you need to hit, um, even if there's no 100% guarantee, usually you'll get that partnership because otherwise you'll move on and they'll lose all that investment in you. So I do think that fortune sometimes favours the brave um, to do that, but um, can be easier said than done. Yeah, that's true. But that's, I mean, you, when, when you, you started with your answer, I think this is also where we should probably finish this is, you know, planning. I think, you know, planning is key. Um, even if you, even if you wanted to speak to a recruiter to understand what the options are, I think you still need to have like a plan in your mind, right? You need to understand what you want to achieve and then someone else can help you to understand what is actually available um, and, and the possibility of you getting it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes as a lawyer, you're so busy, you, you can't lift your head up to actually see the bigger picture of what's happening. Yeah. Um, and um, it's important to um, to also get a mentor within a firm and and, and try and get help to, to, to move up as a partner because, you know, you need support. Now, I've seen very good lawyers who've worked incredibly hard, but have not been very good at playing the game in a way of getting close to the senior partners, finding a mentor, uh, getting support. Um, in some ways you do see uh, the lawyers that push hardest being made partner as well, which is a bit unfair, but um, that doesn't mean you need to be incredibly pushy and be you know, shouting everyone to be a partner, but no. you need to put yourself in the mix and be confident uh, yeah. because if you do that, firms will feel one of two things. Well, they'll either feel that, you know what, he's not right for partner or she's not right for partner, so we'll push back. Or the other thing that they'll think is, you know what, we really need to seriously think about this person become a partner because otherwise we're likely to lose them. So concentrating the minds by 
you know, just making people aware this is your target is another thing. Don't expect people to just see the work you do and automatically give you partnership. In some senses, partners above you don't necessarily want you to be a partner. They might benefit from you being a workhorse for them, um, or uh, they might uh, just not feel that there's a demand for you to be a partner, so they're taking their time. So I think in some senses, you do have to push yourself forwards as well. Um, in a good way um, and, and, and make sure that people you know appreciate that you're ambitious to be a part yeah. of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think this has been very, very useful. At least I've learned a lot um, in this session. So thank you so much for shedding light on this really interesting topic. Um, and I, I yeah, I'm, I'm certain that um, our listeners uh, to this uh, episode will be, uh, will be very much informed about the possibilities in relation to partnership and how to go about it um, planning is key obviously um, so thank you thank you so much Jeremy for joining me in this uh, in this episode today nice. um, thanks very much Barbara I really I really appreciate you asking me on today yeah no it was it was a real pleasure um, thank you and um, I'm sure that um, I'll, I'll put the link obviously in the in the comments so um, people will know where to reach out to um, in case they do look for a partner uh, role or any other role of course within the legal sector um, so thank you so much Jeremy for joining me um, and thank you everyone for listening in today as well hey thanks very much Barbara